Whacking that thing around. You know, for the believers out there, thanks for sticking with us. I know, you know, there were some doubters out there after the last game, but but uh, I knew our group would would respond with a real good effort, and uh, we did that tonight. Just crushed my dreams. Boom. Sadness. That's the one. the doubters are back you can't go one three and one without having some doubters whacking that thing around that's a little scary but it is time for ed's favorite part of the show where he gets to grade everybody grainy's grades what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard at no point in your rambling, incoherent response, were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought? Grace, grace. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Grainy's grades. First topic to grade is the Golden Knights power play. Okay, so before I give a grade, is it still the goal of a power play to score goals? Yes. F minus minus fail. F minus <laughs> minus fail. Are they 0 for 18 now? If that's the only win, I know Millsy brought us through how it looked better with the bumper and the jumper and the tumper and all that craziness that he was talking about with you know, whatever that person's doing. Um, but with even with a joker from the Raiders and a bumper with the Knights, they're 0 for 18, so I don't know how else you can give it any other grade. The last power play goal came on March 29th for the Golden Knights. Uh, some stats since then. In the entire NHL, the Golden Knights rank 20th in shots per minute on the power play, 26th in high danger chances, and 23rd in expected goals per minute on the power play. So it's not a matter of the Golden Knights power play has looked good over the last 18 and has simply had some bad luck, because that happens. That, that That's why hockey is dumb. You can play really well and just you, you can't score sometimes. That's not the case. They are genuinely not creating many chances. Like their goals match exactly what their shots and chances suggest they should be getting. And the bigger problem is last night they played St. Louis, and they had four power plays to St. Louis's one. Four to one, and they did not gain an advantage on the scoreboard despite that, right? Like, imagine a game where the Golden Knights had one power play and the opponent had four. Everyone would be complaining about how the refs are not calling it equally and all this crap. 
But here we are with the Golden Knights getting that advantage and not being able to do anything with something that's such an obvious benefit. It's an F. I mean, they've got to score. Uh, if Millard is, is excited about the changes they made to the, you know, basically the formation they're playing on the power play, that's good. Maybe that does lead to goals. But as of now, O of 18, is well, there's nothing you can give besides an F. F. The good part is, if you want to look for a silver lining, the Golden Knights were three delay of games uh, away from actually scoring a power play. They needed, they needed three more of those delay of game calls, and then they might have scored one. All right, next topic to grade is Marc-Andre Fleury. I think this is going to surprise you a little, Tyler. B minus. B minus. Uh, gave up three, could have given up six or seven. So I thought he played pretty well. Now, you got to go, you can't really go, B minus might be a little high only because the first two, I think, the second one was definitely on him. Um, and I, I would gather the first one was too. So I'm going to give the two on him. The third one, we're going to talk about it. I don't know if that's as much on him. Uh, but I also think there were four or five others that, you know, could have got in or, you know, he made great saves on. So I'm going to say B minus. I don't, I don't think it's as bad as maybe uh, people would have thought in a loss. So Flurry was probably their best player for the first 10, 15 minutes of that game. Like the, the Golden Knights were really good in the second and third period. Like they, they were much right. better in the last 40 minutes of that game. But the opening of that game, the Golden Knights were pretty brutal. Sure. And they kept, they kept giving up breakaways. And yeah. Flurry gives up two goals, and he was still probably their best player through 10 minutes because he had to make some saves to make sure it wasn't three or four in the first 10 minutes. Yeah. But over the course of the game, St. Louis's expected goals was 3.09, and Flurry allowed three goals. So Flurry was basically dead average as a goaltender and on a normal night average goaltending is usually going to be good enough for the golden knights to win against teams that are on the edge of the playoffs or out of the playoffs they couldn't really score anything last night so they didn't win so flurry for me he gets a c for last night c next topic is ryan reeves fight with kyle clifford c c for coma, because that's what I go into when I watch these fights, because they're not really fights. Who can? Gra- it's almost like who who's going to win the fight? The guy who gets the best grab angle of the jersey. So if you have a nice reach, which you know Reeves has, a, you know a pretty good reach, and he can get the right angle on the jersey, you know then it's a cartoon character on the other end trying to hit something that he can't hit with his flailing arms. But after like six seconds of this, I'm like, all right, I've got to go to sleep now. This is stupid. They're just going to wait for these guys to stop flailing at the air, and then they're going to break them up. So I'm never giving a hockey fight probably in my life more than a C if they continue to be like this. I have uh, three grades to give out on this one. First off, I agree with you. The fight itself gets an F. F. They spent uh, the fight was about fifty five seconds long. They spent about forty five seconds holding on to each other like it was middle school dance. Like. There were a few punches that Reeves threw, but for the majority of the time, they were just holding each other. So the fight itself yeah. was pretty brutal. The other thing I'm grading, though, is Ryan Reeves gets an A+. A+. Because for the first time this season, Ryan Reeves finally fought someone when the Golden Knights were losing a game. All we hear is how fights change momentum and fights can motivate your team but for some reason ryan reeves only ever fights when the golden knights are winning games when they don't need to change momentum because they're winning so he's been like this front runner when it comes to fighting he finally fought last night when they were losing which is supposedly when you need to change momentum so reeves gets a good grade for that but the last grade i'm giving 
is another F. F. To the narrative that you need to fight to change momentums because that doesn't exist. Because what right. happened after the Golden Knights, after Ryan Reeves fought, the Golden Knights still sucked. They got a penalty like a minute afterwards. It did not help them at all because fighting does not help at all in this sport. It is useless. There's no need for it other than to be entertained. But even then, it's not entertaining because they don't actually fight. They just hold each other and skate around for 45 seconds. Do you think that the next time Ryan Reeves does a Zoom, no matter what the question is, he's going to say, what do you think? Because he wants to talk like the real fighter on the team. Oh, he's got to start mimicking. Yeah. He's got to mimic Kagan Kolasar, the real fighter on the oh. team. So he's like, what do you, Ryan, ha, you know, good day to you. What do you think? Keegan Kolasar broke a guy's face. All Ryan Reeves yeah. has done is stretch down real fighter on the jersey. Team. Yeah, absolutely. Somebody, all Reeves does is stretch out other guys' jerseys. He doesn't actually <laughs> do anything for them. All right. Next topic is yeah. Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo. I can't give a T for tired, so I'm trying to think of other <laughs> letters that can – can't give an E for exhausted. I'm just going to get a uh, – Jared, give me a C. C. I'll just say Check. I think they both were played uh, – correct me if I'm wrong. They both played over 30 minutes of ice time. I think Shea Theodore took 67 shots, none of which went in. Um, <laughs> so they didn't really produce much for as much as they played, at least uh, statistically. But the poor guys were out there uh, you know, dragging around because of salary cap issues, and they had to play like the way too much more than they played. So I can't really completely come down on them because they should have never been playing that much. So, three, I have three more grades for you on this one. Jeez. This goes back to the front office. The front office gets an F. Yes. F. Yes. Because both of them played over 30 minutes in a yes. game because the Golden Knights had five defensemen because the front office can't handle the salary cap. So, front office gets an F. Shea Theodore gets a C. C. Um, he took 20 shots in the game. So... Shea Theodore was trying to score. There was an effort there from Shea Theodore to actually score in this game. So he gets a C. But Alex Petrangelo, he played the most minutes of five-on-five of any player in this game. And despite that, he had the lowest individual expected goals at five-on-five. So when Alex Petrangelo was out there, he created basically nothing offensively for the Golden Knights. So he gets an F, F because when is Alex Petrangelo going to show that he's one of the five best defensemen in the National Hockey League? We haven't seen it. Uh, next topic, the St. Louis Blues third goal. Uh, a plus F minus pass check. A plus F minus pass check. Because anytime a kid gets his first goal in the NHL, I think is really cool. So good for him. He got his first goal. Give him the puck. I love stuff like that. Uh, what baseball game was I was watching the other day when he got his first major league hit, and he's like to smile, and they give him the ball. I think that's all cool. Um, I don't think he should be allowed to come streaking down the middle there and, and take a rebound and shoot and <laughs> score as he did. So he gets an A. Whoever was supposed to be checking that guy or making sure he wasn't that open in terms of taking that shot, they get the F. So I am grading Pete DeBoer here, and Pete DeBoer gets an F. F. Maybe. Uh, but the reason Pete DeBoer gets an F is the Blues scored their third goal with about seven minutes left to go up 3 nothing. Marc-Andre Fleury might have been interfered with. I don't know that the Golden yes, Knights uh, maybe. win. I don't know if they win a challenge, but Marc-Andre Fleury certainly fell to the ice like something went wrong. He might have been flopping like he was playing soccer and trying to get a call. But Marc-Andre Fleury certainly flopped like he got interfered with. 
And right. if you challenge that and win it, the goal comes off the board and you're down 2 nothing with seven minutes to go. Now, if you challenge it and lose, you're down 3 nothing and you have to kill a penalty off. But if you're down 3 nothing with seven minutes to go, guess what? You're losing the game anyway. Your only real chance of winning that game or even getting a loser point was to be down 2 nothing with seven minutes to go. There was a, It was a no-lose situation. Pete DeBoer should have challenged that even if you're 95% chance, or sure you're losing it. You challenge anyways, because who cares if you lose 4 nothing versus 3 nothing? You got to challenge that one. Even the guys on the broadcast actually said, well, there might be a challenge there. And the next thing you know, they're dropping the puck. I guess, well, there wasn't a challenge. <laughs> That's what they should have okay. done. All right. Uh, we'll do the last one here. Polling goalies. Well, okay. AF. Because. AF. <laughs> Because I think the concept of what you're talking about is right, and yet they probably should have pulled Flurry sooner. So, it yeah, you, the concept of pulling goalies when you're down, I mean, it's you know D for desperation. But if you do it D. at the correct time, you might get you know uh, uh, more of an advantage, more time on it. And like you said, three zero or four zero, like who cares? Like what, what does that matter at that point, right? It's it's desperation anyway because you're trying to do something. Thought they should have maybe pulled him earlier. So. I'll give the F on that, but um, F. yeah, that's only two grades. I, I I know you're coming with four grades, so let me know what they are. No, I, I only have one. I only have one because the Golden Knights got a power play with about three minutes left down three to nothing. Yeah. And we know the power play has been terrible. They haven't scored in 18 power plays. But down three, three minutes left on the power play, and for some reason they didn't pull Marc-Andre Fleur. Yeah. Like they, he exactly. should have been on the bench, and they should have had a six on four on the other end. They didn't do it at the three-minute mark. Now, th- about 30 seconds went by. They had another face-off, and then they pulled Flurry. So I'm giving Pete DeBoer a C. C. Because he did, in fact, pull Flurry while they were on the power play. He just did it 30 seconds late. Like, they wasted away 30 seconds. Now, you're probably not coming back to win that game at 3-0, but I, there's, there was zero reason for Marc-Andre Flurry to be in net for the first 30 seconds of that power play. You're down three with three minutes to go, and your power play sucks. Like... He should be on the bench. If you give up an empty netter, who cares? So who cares? Yeah, who cares? a C for Pete DeBoer because he eventually did it. He just C. should have done it 30 seconds earlier. All right. Coming up next, it's Bischoff's Briefs, where we will try to figure out what in the world the Raiders are doing with Colton Miller's extension. Oh, and we have a giveaway. Thank you, Jared. I told you I was going to forget that, too. We have two tickets. To see Kane Brown on the Blessed and Free Tour at T-Mobile Arena, February 4th, 2022. But we Bonnie, have two start tickets start to give away. They're giving away. They're giving away Kane Brown tickets. Hurry up. Oh, go ahead. 702-364-1100 <laughs> is the number. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see Caller Kane Brown number. next year. 702-364-1100. We will take caller number five to go see Kane Brown. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude, I'm not going to cave in. End of story, dude. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude, 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 dude. Bischoff's Briefs. Dude. Bischoff's Briefs. I guess you've got a point there. All right, let's try to figure out Colton Miller's cap hit because he got that three-year extension, which makes him a Raider for the next five seasons. 
But his cap hit is a little interesting because, thanks to Over the Cap, by the way, who has these details, Colton Miller's cap hit for this season is now $13.4 million for this season, 2021. That means his cap hit went up by about $9 million because he was only going to cost $4 million against the cap this year because he was still on his rookie contract. So the Raiders, in a year where the salary cap has decreased, in a year where they are looking to spend as little money as possible against the cap because they need to get as many players in here to help, increased Colton Miller's cap hit by $9 million. They took Colton Miller in the first round, and one of the benefits of first-round picks is that you can get high-level play for cheap. That's the idea anyways. And the Raiders, eh, I wouldn't say they've gotten high-level play from Colton Miller, but he's gotten better since he's come here. They could have had that for at least one more season. They could add him for $4 million this year. And then if they picked up his fifth-year option next year, it would have been $11 million cap hit. But instead, what the Raiders have done is this year with his extension, his cap hit is $13 million, which doesn't make any sense for 2021. And then for 2022, instead of his cap hit being $11 million, it will be $16.8 million. So basically a $7 million increase in what he was going to count against the cap in 2022. So the Raiders have taken $16 million in cap space over the next two years and thrown it away because they did not have to give Colton Miller an extension this early. They could have simply waited until after next season or even after his fifth season with the team, but they decided to do it early and they have thrown $16 million against the cap away for the next two seasons. It makes zero sense for the Raiders in 2021, and it makes zero sense for the Raiders in 2022. They have made the rest of the roster worse by giving Miller an extension they didn't have to give out because, as Josh Dubow pointed out yesterday, the Raiders have approximately $2.6 million in cap space right now. They don't have a starting free safety, they don't have a starting slot cornerback, and they don't have a starting right tackle at the moment. They've got $2.6 million to spend to try to find those types of players. Now, there is a benefit to the way the Colton Miller extension is structured. Because over the last three years of the deal, Colton Miller will never have a cap hit over $15 million. The extension he got was an extra three years and an extra $54 million, which would work out normally to $18 million a year. But... In the last three years of Colton Miller's deal, his cap hit is around 12, 13, or 14 million dollars. So that 16 million they're wasting in the next two years is being saved in 2023, 2024, and 2025, which is good for 2023, 2024, and 2025. But that leads me to the question are the Raiders rebuilding to be good in 2023, 2024, and 2025? Is the plan to be good in three years and not right now. Because if that is the plan, Derek Carr should be traded. They should be looking for their next quarterback. They should be looking for the next franchise quarterback if the plan is to be good in three years when they're saving money on this Colton Miller deal. Why would you sign Kenyon Drake to such a big deal if your plan is to be good in three years? Hell, why sign Yannick Ngakwe to a short-term deal if your plan is to be good in three years? And I think what the Raiders' actual plan is I think they're just trying to be mediocre for the next five years. Like instead of going all in to try to win a Super Bowl now, or instead of trying another rebuild where they tear it down and try to be great in three years, I think they're trying to be an eight-win team next year 
and in 2022 and for the next three years after that. Because look what they did to the what they did to the offensive line suggests they're rebuilding. I mean, they tore they tore that down. They're going to start guys like Andre James on the offensive line. They saved money there. And then what they did with Colton Miller's extension, it helps them three years down the road. Not right now. But then what they've done with Yannick Ngakwe, what they've done with Kenyon Drake suggests they're trying to win right now. So I feel like the Raiders are trying to be mediocre for the next five years rather than having a plan to try to be great at some point over the next five years. Okay, I guess the obvious question becomes then, because they tend to say they believe in their quarterback, he'll be starting for the eighth straight year. Not not old, but certainly not young anymore in terms of NFL year, NFL age of how he is in terms of car. If that's the case, the biggest question back to you is why? Tell me, why would they want to be mediocre for three to five years? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just When someone hears that, they're like, eh, they gave this guy a 10-year deal. They continue to keep this quarterback who, despite everyone thinks you know, they should trade him or they have traded him, they won't. They continue to publicly speak how much they love him. What would be – tell me the advantages of them being mediocre for three to five years. Well, there's not much advantage at all. But if you're trying to figure out what why they would do that, yeah, I think yeah. number one, there's a, either – number one, they think they're actually closer to winning a Super Bowl than they are. And they think, well, we can try to save some money in the future and our team's good enough, we can win the Super Bowl this year. They might think they're better than they are. But two, there, there also might be an understanding or a realization of, hey, we're not good enough to win the Super Bowl, but it's also going to be pretty terrible to say, hey, we're rebuilding again when three years ago they started a rebuild by trading away Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper. So right, I think right. there might be a level of they're afraid to commit fully to another rebuild, even though they, if you're trying to win the Super Bowl, they probably need to. They might be afraid to commit to that fully because... They just did that. And and here and that's, again, the biggest problem with the Raiders roster right now, it's not really any of the free agent signings the Raiders have made. It's that they have had six first-round picks since John Gruden took over. And first-round picks are the most valuable thing you can have as a franchise because you can get really good players for really yeah, cheap right contracts. Yeah. And the six guys they have are not really good. I mean, they, they have a wide receiver in Henry Ruggs who didn't produce much last year. They've got a cornerback in Damon Arnett who probably needs to be replaced in the starting lineup. They've got a safety in Jonathan Abram who needs to be replaced in the starting lineup. they got a running back, and for some reason they gave another running back a bunch of money in free agency, and they got Colt Miller and Cleveland Furl. Like, Miller and Furl are fine NFL players, like, but they're not great. Like, the Raiders didn't get a single great player out of those six picks, and they got two that are might be unplayable in Arnett and Jonathan Abram. So that's the, like, th- this should be the next couple of years. The Raiders should be really good. Cause all these picks are going to be in their second, third and fourth years. Right. And you still only have to pay them a few million dollars, but none of them are actually good. And that's right. the problem is they're, they're, they're drafting sort of ruined the rebuild to where, well, you're probably better off rebuilding again, but that's a really hard sell to a fan base. It's a really hard sell to a fan base. When you bring back a coach and a 10 year deal, who you know brings with them the perception that they're going to go back to the glory days when he was there and be really really good and he's going to break you know build a roster to go to the Super Bowl so yeah it's not a good look if that's in case of what they're doing in fact what they're doing that's not good for your fan base or for what the perception was when you hired him and gave him that kind of deal yeah I mean that, and that's the only explanation as to why they would do what they did with the Colton Miller extension because otherwise there's no reason to add nine million to the salary cap this year that's just 
stupid. I mean, that, that's genuinely dumb to put that on the salary cap when you have so many holes and the salary cap went down. But if you, it makes sense if you're planning to be good in three years. But if you're trying to be good right now, the Colton Miller extension and the way they structured it makes absolutely no sense. All right, coming up next, J.R. Starkus is making us a drink that, I don't know, he tweeted a, a watermelon emoji. So I'm kind of excited because I love watermelon. And congratulations to Patrick. He won two tickets to go see Kane Brown on the Blessed and Free Tour, which is coming to T-Mobile Arena on February 4th, 2022. Ready for the weekend? It's like I picked the wrong week to quit drinking. Let's find out what's on tap with J.R. Starkus. Champagne, perfume going in, sewage coming out. Key account executive, Southern Glazers Wine Spirits in Nevada. One and only at JR Starkus on Twitter. At JR Makes Drinks, if you're an Instagram fan. Uh, What's on tap? Sponsored by Liquor World here on Thursdays on the Press Box. Uh, let's just get right to it. You, your weirdness, you were on Twitter the other day with the superintendent person you continue to tweet at, which is just embarrassing. <laughs> yep. which, which is just embarrassing at all levels, by the way, that you're tweeting at this poor guy. Like, he doesn't have enough of his table. He continues to get tweets from you. Uh, but right. I guess, are you, hap- are you happy with the update? And bring everyone up to date of people who, like the 1% who care about what you're supposed to say, but then let everyone else know what's going to happen. <laughs> so, I mean, am I happy with the update? Uh, let's call it D minus. Um, I'm not happy with the update. D minus. D minus. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's, I mean, the update is you can go if you're a, you, parents can go to your kids' home game only. Um, so, you know, if I go to my son's game at Sierra Vista, I can go. But if he goes and plays at Desert Oasis or Durango, which is like three miles away, I can't go. So, it makes no sense, and they're saying, hey, capacity, you know, will be limited to 250 people to keep it safe. Okay, fine. If you've ever been to a high school baseball game, there are not 250 people there. <laughs> There's like 40 people, and let's call it 50 um, if you want to include the teams. You know what I mean? It's not a lot of people. So there's just, there's just not a ton of people at a high school baseball game, you know. So it, it, I'm, not, I'm not happy with the fact that, you know, you can't go to all of your kids' games outside. I'm fighting for us parents who want to go watch our kids play. And, yes, I continue to tweet at uh, Jara and the school district because I think somebody needs to say something to them. And I know they're hearing it, um, not, not necessarily from me, but I know they're hearing it from all angles because they are making adjustments. And, um, you know, I, it's, I'm just waiting for them to say, okay, fine, parents, if you can go to your kids' games, you know, and, and then I'll be happy. All right, here's, here's my solution here. Um, each kid gets to designate two people that can go to all of their games, but the kid gets to actually pick. So if your kid doesn't want you there, you don't get to go. Oh, that's great. Well, that's, that's great. And then if your kid doesn't actually want you there, if your kid is like mine who doesn't have a driver's license yet because he's only 15, then getting to the game could be a challenge. Well, so. listen, we gotta we gotta put it on these teenagers. They just gotta pick somebody that can drive them to the games. It does. You, yeah. Other people have license. They just have to be able to drive them to the game. Jr. We used to pile yeah. in the back of a friend's like Ford and just like ride in the bed to different yeah, games. No, you know, it's it's. I I think they can get to the game. I mean, I think it's silly that you know there's you know you can go to your kid's home game. You can't go to the away game. But and I think I've mentioned this before, but. All of the kids on an away game, all the boys on an away game, more girls if it's softball or something like that, they're all on the same bus. So mom and dad who can't go to the game, who also drove the kids to school,
school to get on the bus cannot go to the game that the bus is going to. Makes no sense. Okay. None. Zero. First of, first of all, if there's any chance you could be kept away from all this, Tyler, myself, and Jared will take turns coming and picking up your kid. <laughs> if that's all this is about, we'll pick that kid up anywhere so just so you can stay home and tweet at people and be even more mad. You, that would be awesome. You, that would be awesome. You trust Ed with your son's I, life? Yes. <laughs> I will tweet I'm not saying you get the kid there safely. I'd get the kid, though, yeah. Oh. I will tweet from the scaffolding in left center um, wherever oh. I wind up. Um, overlooking with, you know, if I got to do it, you know, I try not to be uh, too invasive. I will not heckle the other team because I know they're just doing their best, but I will watch the game from a three-foot scaffolding or four-foot scaffolding, whatever it is that I bought. Just doing their best. Um, JR, I've got to ask you, uh, I, don't think, I don't think we have this in high school baseball. Not a problem there. When you watch a, a Major League Baseball game on TV, do you get mad at the umpires when they miss calls that the K-Zone says is a strike or a ball? <sighs> do I get mad? I, I, sometimes, I, I guess is my answer. So, like, from a player's father standpoint, like, I'll, you know, I get it. There's a mindset when you walk to the plate, you have an approach and all this. But every once in a while, I'll see, you know, um, you know, oh, oh, fastball right down the middle, and they just let it go. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> you know, or on the edge. And I'm like, oh, man. So, I, I, I do, I do critique it. I, you know, I think those are, but I, I do get upset. I think that the strike zone is, um, you know, like a lot of other things, is completely arbitrary. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle. I go back and forth because I want to see accuracy, um, especially in high leverage situations, you know. Um, but I also don't want to see anybody necessarily, like, lose their job to a robot. But I get the fact that, like, you got to do better. <laughs> you got to do better, you know. Um, you know, so... I am, I guess, more in favor of the electronic strike zone um, to, you know, as long as maybe the umpire is at the plate to make, you know, home and home or safe and out calls and whatnot. And then if necessary, then it can go to um, it can go to replay. But I also think that with baseball and replay, not having like, you know, like in hockey, you take you take you do a challenge and you lose the challenge, you take a penalty. Um, you lose a, a timeout in football, but there's you can I, to my knowledge there is no limit or challenge rules to baseball. Like no, I think challenge that. No nope, challenge that. No, nope, but there's nothing. So I think baseball should implement something where it's like you want to challenge a call and you miss. Well, guess what? Your your next batter, um, your next batter has a strike on him already. Oh, right? brutal! Or brutal if you, if you win, batter. yeah. What's that? Yeah. If you I challenge something and you're on the offense, then your next batter has a strike. If you lose, oh, something like that, I'd be so. Well, mad about so you challenge, you challenge, and you're like in a critical position of the game, and you got like winning run on third. You challenge something, you lose. Mike Trout's walking to the plate, and he's he's oh one as he walks to the plate. Like you wow. think about it twice. <laughs> you better be only, sure. Only one team that could overcome that anyway, um, because we're not we're, we know who that is. You tweeted out this morning. Was that a was that a watermelon? That was a watermelon, and I actually should have tweeted what, a watermelon and a raspberry because this drink that I'm gonna that I made uh, that I'll post later on my Instagram at Jeremy Drinks will be both. It has both in it, but uh, watermelon is the primary because I'm featuring uh, the brand new Absolute Watermelon Vodka that just hit the market uh, a couple weeks ago. So, how, what do you got? Take us through it. Okay, so. Uh, it's a few simple ingredients. Again, all the things that you know I've used before, you should have at home or that are in the grocery store. So this is going to incorporate uh, a little bit of lemon juice, some agave nectar, fresh raspberries, aperol, 
and uh, a little bit of the absolute watermelon. And then um, I'm on this kick because I love these sparkling sodas, the Sovani. This one is I used is the uh, Remarkable Raspberry Soda. Uh, so it's, you know, when, when you're making this drink, a lot of people don't like using fresh fruit because they feel like, uh, I, I, you know, or especially bartenders, right? Home bartenders don't care so much because they just want to, they love making drinks. Bartenders in restaurants all the time, they, they complain about muddling. Uh, but this drink will work for both because you don't need to muddle. It uses about five or six raspberries that are the first thing that go into your tin. And there's no muddling involved because when you shake the drink, the raspberries are soft enough that the ice will automatically break up the raspberries for you and do all of the work. So there's no muddling involved here. So it's going to be a shaken drink. You add about five or six raspberries to your tin. No ice at this point. We're going to add ice pretty much last. So you add, you add about five or six raspberries to your tin. You add uh, an ounce of lemon juice, three-quarter ounce of agave syrup. You add a half of an ounce of Aperol, and then an ounce and a half of absolute watermelon. Um, abs- and then you shake all those ingredients together with ice. And the, like I said, the raspberries will break up for you. At this point now, you don't want to shake the drink too long or hard because you're not trying to, like in other instances I've done cocktails, you're shaking the drink and straining it over fresh ice. We're going to use the same ice that's in our shaker because I want those raspberry chunks in my drink, right? So I am going to shake the drink hard, short, maybe three, four seconds, and then pour all of the contents into a Collins glass. I I might need to add a little bit more ice to it, um, and then I top it off with the Sylvani Remarkable Raspberry Sparkling Soda, stir it together, and uh, then garnish it with, like, some lemon, maybe, um, you know, you can garnish it with some raspberries, a, f- a fun, colorful straw. It's really kind of a nice, easy, refreshing drink. Um, you know, we've been lucky. The weather has been basically the 80s every single day. This is where it starts to get really nice. Uh, so, you know, it's perfect for this time. And a really refreshing style drink that you can enjoy with a brand-new product on the market that, you know, coming into the summer season, a lot of people enjoy that flavor of watermelon. Um, and the watermelon and the tartness of the raspberry with the soda um, and the lemon juice, it all kind of just blends together. It makes this drink like a nice, really zing style on your palate, refreshing. Um, and I know you like it when I say this, it's sessionable, so you can drink many of them. It's, it's just one of those style drinks that you, you, um, you'll make, you'll, you'll love, and it's with ingredients that you have around the house. Tyler, you excited about being sessionable? Uh, yeah, I'm disappointed we're not in studio to drink this because I love watermelon. So, oh, uh, Jr. When we're in studio, please make this for me. Absolutely, I'll make it for I you. Mean, it's it's really, it's really good. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, when I made it to test it out, uh, I tasted it and I even said to myself, like, still got it, still got it. You know, it was, <laughs> it, was, it, was it was it was really good. It's a it's a fun new brand to play with. You know, it, it, it's it's similar in aspect to some of the Grey Goose essences, right, um, flavors, but this is a, even a little bit higher proof. The Grey Goose essences are, you know, um, they're, they're 60 proof, and this is 76 proof, so it's a little bit higher, 38% alcohol by volume. So it's a little more similar to uh, uh, a regular potency, if you will, vodka, um, versus the Grey Goose essences, which are a little bit lower in, in alcohol, but equally as wonderful, flavorful, um, affordable and something that you can have fun with all throughout the summer in, in a lot of different cocktails. The nice thing about this drink is that, you know, raspberries are one thing, but when watermelon in a, you know, a couple months when it's really, really good and juicy, um, you can put in the watermelon and add even more watermelon flavor to this drink. 
um, yeah. instead of raspberries, right? Or you can make it strawberries or, you know, you can tweak the fruit any way you see fit. It's something you enjoy. Add as much or as little as you like. Well, if you're worried about losing it, stop uh, stop tweeting to uh, you know the poor superintendent. Maybe you'll, uh, your skills will come back. We will see you uh, next time in studio. We're we're ba- we're trying to get back before Kane Brown comes in concert. So we'll probably see you in about February 2022. <laughs> Brought to you by Liquor World. It's Jr. Starkus at Jr. Starkus on Twitter, Instagram. Go see him make that drink at Jr. Makes Drinks. What's on tap, Liquor World? Here every Thursdays. I'm sure you have someone to tweet about. So we'll talk to you soon. All right, guys. Take care. I'll tweet out. Thanks, <laughs> Jr. Uh, watermelon. How about that kid? I still got it. I just lose oh, yeah. it. Mixing a couple, I, couple ingredients together. I can do that. I do. Uh, no, a, I, I love that cockiness. Okay. Though. I love that. Uh, oh, next time, uh, when Jr. is back, we'll have you mix a couple ingredients together, and we'll we'll see who <laughs> who still got it. Listen. Listen, we need to go to break. My guess is we go to break. Right. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Can that be the new segment with JR as Ed and I take turns trying to make the drink with his yes. instructions? <laughs> exactly, with his instructions. I mean, and it, just see how bad it is. Just we slowly kill JR. Just like, <laughs> we, and now it's what's on tap where we try to give JR Starkus a brain aneurysm. <laughs> All right, coming up next. Oh, Ed. The Las Vegas Aces, we've got their new jerseys. Oh, God, I saw them. Grady knows best. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie has done it again. What did you dig up, Jared? So I was, I just typed Grady's name into search, and then I clicked the thing to find the oldest thing, and it was Grady knows best. And it sounds like it was produced in 1987. No, that was uh, Clay and I. Really? I forget what I was supposed to say on that. I guess <laughs> I was supposed to make. I guess I, I was supposed to make some kind of declarative statement because if you know something, you know it best. You're supposed to say what you think. I don't know. Are you sure? I remember, I remember that. That yeah, was yeah. I'm pretty sure because I also sure. found this, and this was created after that, which. Uh, Ed Graney accepts no liability for the content of this interview or for the consequences of any actions taken on the base of the information provided, unless that information is subsequently confirmed in writing, of which we know Paul Howard can't do. Any views or opinions presented in this interview are solely of Paul Howard and Seat Williams and do not necessarily represent any of Ed, Ed Graney's. So I'm thinking that that may well, predate you and Clay. Well, that's gridlog with Mitch and Paulian. Yeah, but the, the Graney that's Knows gridlogged. Best was created before that. So in the timeline, I, I don't think that was a I don't think that was a Clay Baker wow. original. I think that might have been you and Pete wow. Williams and uh, and Polly Paul Howard. Howard. Wow, boy, you, boy, you, someone up, someone update the computers at Lotus. No, <laughs> no, 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 because no, because then how else are we going to find great things like this? Whacking that uh, thing around. Jeez. Well, it's uh, good that we uh, played Grainy Knows Best because Grainy Knows Jersey's best, and that's what yeah, we're going to talk he's about. He's a Jersey right. guy. Okay. Yes. Right. So yeah. the WNBA unveiled new jerseys. Uh, we have the Las Vegas Aces. They're going to have three jerseys this year. Uh, and by the way, Ed, I think tomorrow we're going to grade all of the new jerseys in the WNBA. Because you you set yourself up for oh, this because you you did this the last time we started talking about jerseys is you oh, were ready to do it so we are going to grade all twelve WNBA can, New Jerseys. 
Can we just go back to dumb questions by Jared for that segment? Nope, nope, not allowed. Oh. Not allowed at all. So, all right. the Aces New Jerseys, we had already seen the red ones. Uh, they have a white one that is very similar, kind of plain, just says Aces across the chest. But they mm-hmm. also have a new black one. And the black mm-hmm. one uh, has the word Aces written vertically uh, along with the number but also has a diamond design in the bottom yeah. of the jersey. So what do you make of the Aces new jerseys, Ed? Hate the black one. You might as well put it on a U6 soccer team and call them the Black uh, Dinosaurs. What? Uh, because there's always – I hate – I hate – I told you last week it was Chicago's jersey where I, I will go as plain as ever for what I want jerseys to be. So when they added the diamonds here, it was over for me. It might as well be an AYSO team. So if I'm choosing between the other two – I will go with the red one with Las Vegas and the number in the front. I do not like the black one. If it was an all-black jersey and without the diamonds, I'm okay with it because I like the name down uh, down uh, uh, the side there. But I am not. I'm not big on the black jerseys. Oh, this is brutal, Ed. The black the ones are by far one. They are by far the best. Uh, it's not even course. close. What a, what a shock! What a shock! The black oh. ones are phenomenal. Oh, Those are the best jerseys they've ever oh. had. They're so good. You know, more, you know what? The, the Lambeer better get a lot of orange slices at halftime because that's an AYSO kit. <laughs> <laughs> the black dinosaurs hey, here at Mandalay Bay. Listen, the white and red ones are pretty plain. I, it's good they don't have a big sponsor on the front. That's nice. But like, well, we both like that. This is, yeah. This is like back when you'd get the East Bay catalog and you'd scroll through and it'd be like, ah, you can order team jerseys here and it'd just slap your name on it. That's what these are. I could have ordered these out of an East Bay catalog. I remember that. I remember that catalog. Yeah. They're pretty boring. They're pretty plain. Like, they're fine. There's nothing necessarily wrong with them. They're just kind of boring. But the black ones, oh, the black ones are good. The color scheme's great because it's black with gold. They didn't force red into there because red doesn't fit that well with it. And then the diamond design is excellent. I cannot get enough of this diamond design. Yeah. 4v4 with the short goals. That's what I'm thinking of when my kid was like 6 I am so pumped oh, we've gotten Ed Grady to give so many jersey oh. takes. It's phenomenal. It's just it rude. is unbelievable. I, just, I like look, I like the white and red ones. I like simple. I like plain. I don't want a lot of stuff on it. I'm you know how I view jerseys is how Gramala views food. Like okay. I'm the Mike Gramala of viewing jerseys. I don't want anything special and I don't want anything extra. So the diamonds on this jersey are like the ketchup to hot dogs. Yes, yes. The ketchup and mayo to him on this jersey is what I think of when I look at that jersey. <laughs> I don't understand the di- – is that like something with a card or aces or what, – what's it supposed to mean here? Yeah, yeah. So the, the ace of diamonds. <laughs> I don't like that at all. It's, 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 not, it's, it's not playing for me. And, and I have a question for you. Go, Google for me really quick the Las Vegas aces logo. Okay. And just just let me know when you're looking at it. This is a segment we call Googling on the Air. Yeah, I'm looking at it. What do you think the outline of their logo is? It's a stupid diamond they put on their jersey. Yes, that's why the diamonds are on the jersey. No, I don't, and that's I like why it. it's great. No, I like the red and the white one. There's no diamonds. It's just says Aces or Las Vegas. Give me a number in case they call a foul and I'm covering the game. I got to do the fouls on for the notes. And uh, that's all I need. I can't wait to do the rest of this league. Really looking forward to that segment tomorrow. Listen, it's funny you bring up the numbers 
because the last few years they did not have numbers on the front of the jerseys. And when like when that. referees when referees would call fouls, they would have to like try to run around behind the player to yeah. get their number so they could tell the scores table who committed the damn foul because there were no numbers on the front of the jerseys. Yeah. I like front. What do you think? I like them on the front. It feel like that. Of course, well, like, yes, functionally they should always be there. How else are you supposed to do the job? <laughs> 